Another says, I have buses passing my house every 15 minutes. I haven't seen a single passenger. Uh, Aaron, hi. Morning, Kerry. How are you? Good, thank you. I think you've got a bit of a running theme this morning of sort of public sector people um, uh, not realising where the money comes from. Um, teachers, uh, John Minto, I think, uh, <laughs> I just, <laughs> I've been, I've been following Facebook lots. I've actually been really involved, probably too involved in this. I've listened to seven of the nine epidemic response committees, uh, live, uh, broadcast. And, um, it's probably not the most encouraging thing to do, to be honest. But, um, my, my concern is, is, is as a nation, we just have so many people unaware of the economics of how things work that basically every business and, and their employees, uh, their taxes, their PAYE, their GST, all goes to paying for everyone who's funded by the government. And there seems to be this thing that there's just this endless supply of reserves. Um, though on the a response committee the other day, they said that the forecast is tracking towards $55 billion that this is costing us so far. We're talking $55,000 million so far. And with the government having no reserves, uh, that you know, 100% borrowing, I did some maths. I figured out that a 3% interest rate, that's $1.65 billion per year, just in interest, that's not any repayments, or $4.5 million per day is what we are paying to fund ourselves through this. And there seems to be this whole response. I saw the whole thread of the Simon Bridges um, comments, and there seems to be this whole uh, thought that you, you basically – you know, the critique was you're just all focused on the economy, but it is so intertwined you can't separate one from the other. People's employment is about purpose, it's about prosperity, it's about things working and the whole country working, and, and everyone's essential. Every single person's essential because we pay for the doctors, we pay for the $480,000 Prime Minister, we pay for all these people. Um, and I just think... We really have an uneducated public in terms of the economics of what actually pays for these things, mm. and the indebtedness the indebtedness that the crown is marching off to i mean we we were already looking at borrowing thirteen billion to fund the infrastructure um, that was all canned in two thousand and seventeen uh, that infrastructure, if it had been up and running, would have been jobs that could have been still happening now, big jobs, big projects, good stimulus uh, i don 't have a problem with borrowing for the infrastructure though. No, I don't either. But uh, when we've been so bashful in our spending, you know, $4.2 billion on free student loans, $3 billion on a provincial growth fund that's created 300 jobs, um, you know, all this absolute waste, $200 million for the racing industry to keep Winston happy, um, you know, a billion tree projects that hasn't even got off the ground. There's been so much wasteful spending that's gone on in the last three years that then there was a, a point where we don't have any money to do all the infrastructure to try and stimulate the economy. In December, they say, right, we're going to borrow money to do it. Well, if they hadn't wasted the money, they'd have those money in reserves to keep the, the country flowing through. Um, and, then, and then we turn around, and this is an absolute crisis beyond proportion. Um, I don't critique the first three and a half weeks of what the action has been. I yeah. think it was the right course to take, and people around the world are going, wow, New Zealand's going to be this food-producing, haven um, that can keep going with basically stamping it out. So that's great. That's brilliant. But you've got to look at the bigger economics of it and say, hey, we actually have to step up and realise that um, money doesn't grow on trees. 
that the, the, the country is borrowing to the hilt to try and fund its way through this. And people say it's only another few days. Well, it's actually another week. Uh, and, then you, and then you say another two weeks of level three. That's seven weeks for a lot of businesses. I heard on the Epidemic Response Committee uh, someone uh, bring up a business that was paying $90,000 a week in wages uh, to its 50 staff, yeah. and its subsidy was coming in at around about 28000 So you got 90000 minus 28000 Where's that revenue coming from to fund the difference in people's livelihoods and expectations? Yeah. It is just beggar's belief that we think that this all just, just is about stamping out. I mean, we had five cases yesterday, all of which were from in the bubbles of people. Yeah. Um, it's completely manageable. I heard someone on the radio this morning who's a surgeon saying that they've never had such a quiet time in the hospital. There's 12 people in the whole country. Meanwhile, elective surgeries aren't happening. Uh, people aren't getting seen. I mean, I've got a nine-month-old waiting for an MRI scan uh, uh, on a waiting list, yeah. um, and that's, what, another two months away? Yeah. You know, like, we, just, we just need to think a bit smarter about how we're doing things. And the response that I saw to Simon Bridges calling out, you know, that we need to think about things differently and... Uh, and maybe maybe reassess where we're at, and then the vitriol that came with that. Well, it wasn't. I, mean, I think it was. I mean, you phrased it better than he did. Yeah, it's about the yeah. tone as well as what he's saying. Yeah, well, empathy empathy is is not you know exclusive to one topic. Empathy is for the person who needs an elective surgery today. You know, or empathy for, is for Bridie and her business trying to yeah. trying to claw her way through and and survive. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I think I think this. Um, this whole idea that you basically uh, need to need to show all this care for this very small small number when you actually you actually need to hear both sides of the argument and I think we've got to a point where I think people below the age of you know my age and down you know 30 and down have this have this thing where um, if if someone says something against the current narrative and the current argument that you have to absolutely throw them under the bus. I mean, we, we actually need to have both sides of this argument. And if people have been listening in to the predictions, you know, Treasury saying 10% unemployment at best, 28% at worst, it's probably going to land somewhere in the middle there. They interviewed the 700 biggest businesses in the country and 30% said they didn't think they could get through. It's almost yeah. one in three yeah. said they don't think they can get through. I mean, this is just absolutely massive. Um, and Absolutely. I it's far beyond what we're doing. Okay, um, I'm going to have to. I am going to have to go, and I'm, it's not because I'm cutting you off. So don't bother sending texts saying I'm cutting off the most interesting caller of the day. It's that we're right up against the news. Well, Aaron's quite the hit. Would you say he's the most popular caller of the year? I'd say so. Our lovely, lovely dairy farmer that we had last year was probably the the caller of the year. I'm picking Aaron's going to be the caller of the year this year. Lots of texts and plenty of demands for him to uh, be the leader of the National Party. First time texter, very long time listener, caller cut short by the 10am news as one of the most sensible, rational callers in the history of ZB. In the history, says a texter. George says, any chance you could put that last call on Facebook or podcast or anywhere where we could listen to it again, please? says George. Yes, yes. We can do that for you. We can also exhort Aaron to call again. I mean, not today, obvs, but I don't think even for Aaron, the caller of the year, we can have him on every hour. 
don't think that's asking too much of him. Uh, Chris says that outstanding caller and the obvious support for his point of view clearly exposes the Simon Bridges non-story as the load of left-wing troll crap it is. Anyone who thinks Bridges is tone deaf on this matter needs their own hearing checked. He's spot on, says Chris. Well, I thought it was the way he said it. I thought Aaron said it better. And obviously you did too. Um, Kerry, I missed the name of the man who rang just before the news, but bring him back again. Simon Bridges' comments were largely accurate, in my opinion. If anyone else had said them, they would not have incurred such a vitriolic response from the Facebook trolls. Love your show, keep safe, says M. Uh, can the person that you had on just before the news replace Simon Bridges, or better still, Christopher Luxton as leader and Stephen Joyce as 2IC? Kerry says, Penny, what a fantastic call from that young man. Sounds like we need him in Parliament. He hit the nail on the head. And Kerry, who was your last caller? Aaron. He needs to take over as leader of the National Party. He spoke so eloquently and sensibly. I think it'd be a bit more difficult to just take over. Although, you know, Christopher Luxon, maybe not. Um, so, yes, well done, Aaron. Thank you very much, Um for calling us, and you're very, very welcome, obviously, to come back and on another day with more thoughts. And that's a request from from the public, basically, as well as me. Hi, Roger. Hi, Kerry. How are you? Very well, thank you. Look, um, I'm probably not going to be as popular as Aaron with some <laughs> of the comments I'm going to make. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, such as life. Um, look, I... Um, I, I I found it difficult actually listening to Aaron because, uh, you know, he made a few comments that were a little bit offensive, I guess, to me in terms of being the general public and not fully understanding, you know, our public system. Um, but I'll let that go. Um, what I was more interested in, I guess, was that a, a, a younger parent with a child who has a MRI scan coming up didn't really mention anything about any of the people who have actually suffered in this country as a result of the virus. Obviously, um, there have been some deaths as a result of the virus. Uh, and it's something that none of us, I'm sure, uh, want wanted to happen as a result of the virus actually coming into the country. And I guess worldwide, it's a very similar feeling. And you can see that by the way that countries are behaving towards the virus. Of course, um, and you didn't want the public health system overwhelmed, but at the same time, these were very, very health-compromised people. I understand, you know, I mean, there's been lots of reports. I'm, I, I guess what, what I'm alluding to is that, you know, the time for blame is something that I've actually posted a number of times in different comments of different things. That I mean, we've all got a bit of time, so we all get a chance to get on Facebook, get on some of these other social mediums, and see what people are talking about. And I, I guess what I'm alluding to is, is that, uh, you know, there are there, there will be a time. Yeah. There will be a time, you know, to lay blame, to comment about how things were done. I think to criticise while we're still in the heat of the actual battle is is almost like cutting, cutting us at the knees, if you like. You know, I mean, I, I understand that there's going to be a lot of complaints about the way things have been done. Um, I think you've alluded to it, you know, with a sly comment you made before Aaron spoke about um, the, the episode in Wuhan, and that's another situation where I feel, you know, that, yeah, okay, I see that an American 
prosecutor from the state has come out and has filed a lawsuit against China. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, any country that would have had this as the, the, the beginnings would have found it incredibly difficult to manage something like this, you know, regardless of where it was in the world. You know, it's, it's, it's nothing that really has happened before apart from small outbreaks of MERS and SARS in different parts of the world in China and, and the Middle East. But it's, 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 it's unheard of. And in fact, most countries had a lot of time to, pre- to prepare for a pandemic of this nature and not a lot of them did anything about it. You know, so I think the blame game is, is something we can talk about later. Look, I'm not talking about blame at all. Leading up to this, I had my own thoughts, you know, about overreaction. Going into it, I I think it would have been treasonable to have have uttered them. You know, the decision was made, let's do it, let's follow the rules, let's be good soldiers so we can get out of it that much more quickly. You can hear by some of the comments that you're receiving from some of the workers at the coalface. You know, they are worried. They are concerned. You know, they've seen the nature of what this virus can do. Um, you know, they are concerned, you know, for people's lives, for people's... I mean, look, money is money. You know, we, we live in a money world. You know, we have a world economy. But the reality is, is life, a person's life. And that chap with a young daughter who's, exper- you know, who's, who's coming up with son coming up for an MRI, I'm sure, you know, uh, he would certainly put his daughter's life before any financial concern he may have in his own personal situation. I yeah, just but you've feel got to like be able we, to look we, after your family. I, oh, look, I just noticed um, President Trump coming out and saying he's giving $325 billion to small businesses in the US, $75 billion to, you know, I mean... There's, a, there's money in this world to give to people if they need it to support them through through this. Well, where, you know, where does the money borrow, come it, from? And that was Aaron's maybe, point. The it, way it you're maybe, talking about it, there's like some bottomless pit that is going to provide for everybody. I'm not suggesting that, but if you Well, that's what you're saying. There's money that, there. Where does it come well, from? Well, hang on, hang on. If no, you talk Roger. About no, billion, it's a conversation. It's not you just doing a soliloquy. GDP. So no, when you, you say there's money there, where does it come from? Okay, so $56 billion, if you're talking about our GDP, it's probably about a third of our gross domestic product. It may take us some time to pay that back, but we are doing that constantly as a country anyway. Every government we had, and in terms of national, the borrowing they did while they were in power for the nine years they were in power was astronomical. Not to mention that they stopped us, you know, they successively stopped us from saving. They want to attack us for saving. And that super policy could come in handy now that we're, uh, you know, having to pay this money back because people will see at least we've got some savings there that if needed, they could call on that if the loans had to come in. Look, we're in a better position than a lot of countries in terms of being able to pay loans back. You think about countries overseas who are going to have this hit them and they can't pay it back at all. So, look, I, I just think we, we tend to look at ourselves as being um, hard done by. But, 